now from Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulet Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Hello, my little devilish darlings, and welcome to the depths of an all-new episode of the Boulay Brothers' Creatures of the Night. This pit of doom promises to be filled with fear and fun, and joining me, as always, on our journey to hell is my sister in darkness, Drakmorda. Drakmorda, darling, you are looking well tonight. Yes, I should be, because I've been... Working on my figure, slimming up for the tour. <laughs> Ooh, she's spilling secrets already. Well, it's true. You know, I saw Sigourney flexing that 16-inch waist the other day. I'm like, you're not going to do that to me. You're not going to do that to me. <laughs> not tonight. Not tonight, not, not tomorrow, ne- not, not next, next week. week. And not ever. So. Looking good. I have lots of cheeseburgers for her on the tour <laughs> bus, and I'll be eating ice. <laughs> Oh, I love it. And yes, the tour is on the horizon. But right now, we're kind of sitting in a little, very rare kind of like heartbeat of a rest. It's a little bit, dare I say, a downtime. But we have a little leisure time to prepare for all the things that are coming in the next wave of everything. And a lot is on the horizon, isn't it? It surely is. In this downtime, I'm here to kind of share with the listeners that we've been doing a lot of catching up with like TV and things that are just streaming and stuff that we've been too busy to absorb and sort of partake in. And, you know, there's a lot of hype about some of it. And so some of this will be late on, but we kind of want to put our two cents in on some of this content. Right. People always ask us for recommendations. Like, what are you watching? What do you think of this TV show? So we're trying to collect up a bunch of different titles that people have asked us about and take a quick minute to talk about them and let you know our opinions and suggestions. Yeah. And admittedly, Most of this content is like, I'll call it horror adjacent. We're definitely not talking about like just straight up horror, but I think the content and its aesthetics would appeal to the horror lover. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of horror in each of them. Yeah. Certainly some gore. Which I'm loving to see because it's not necessarily like a straight up, this is a horror feature or this is a horror series, but the gore and the fear or the supernatural is kind of coming through. And I love those sort of like hybrids. Horror is very in right now. And I'm not one of those people that are like a protectionist, you know, like there's some people who are like, I'm a horror nerd and I own everything that's horror and I can't stand it when it becomes cool. I'm like, I love it because more budget is allocated to horror. There's more platforms that are running horror. So it just allows for a lot more creativity and a lot more points of view, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And one of those things that we really sunk our teeth into was Yellow Jackets, which we heard a ton about. I mean, as soon as it came out, everybody was freaking out and we didn't have the time to see it then. Yellow Jackets is streaming on Showtime. It's labeled as a psychological drama, but is Mama, it not horror? No, really, it I'm is surprised. Not. And she swerves hard into like gore and horror. I was really resistant to watch this. Okay, backing up when you're like, 
I'm not a protectionist. And I'm like, okay, maybe not with this in particular. No, I'm not a protectionist. I'm open to these things being made. It doesn't mean I want to watch it all, right? And this was one of those things that I just thought maybe I wouldn't like because the way that it was described to me is like high schoolers and there's these bitchy girls and a lot of coke. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not feeling this is not what I think I'm signing up for. You know, there were a bunch of queens that were recommending it. And it had me thinking you said like, it. I did. And <laughs> it had me thinking like, okay, could this be fun though? And then you learn like it was kind of, you know, I heard whispers of like cannibalism and killing and like yeah. all centered around a group of really talented girl soccer players from a high school team. So I'm like, Oh, I'm kind of into this. Not what I expected. I think the first episode, I almost gave up on it. And then about three quarters of the way, I was like, am I hooked on this? I think I'm hooked on this. No, we both were. Because I was like, girl, this ain't that good. I'm like, this episode one, I'm like, okay, I see what they're trying to do. But this is not going where I want it to be. Do I bail on this now? And then we're looking across each other at the couch. And I'm like, let's invest one more episode. Yeah. And... It that paid off. It. Yeah. it really paid off. Mm-hmm. You know, and at first glance, there's so many stars attached to this. Like Christina Ricci is in it, Juliette Lewis, Melanie Linsky, a lot of faces that you'll see, you'll recognize, which could go either way. It's either hyped up and overcast and it's going to suck, or these stars are attached to a great story and that's what it ended up being. And it yeah. was like so infectious, we just binged the entire thing. Yeah. So all in all, I would recommend it. It's a fun watch. I think people should watch it. There's definitely a couple of points that I'm like, What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're like, "Mm, what's happening over here? (laughs) Like, I'm not into it. Yeah. But we argued a lot, right? Like we argued about it. And my favorite character is dead after the finale. And I'm so (laughs) pissed. And I'm not going to say who it is because Ian has not watched it yet. And people at home probably haven't either. So I don't want to spoil it, but I'm extremely pissed. And I want to do something with that actress in the future because I think she was raw. I love that you're attracted to her scale and her acting skills. But just because you threw out there that she died doesn't give it away because a lot of people die. That's true. Like, there's a lot of death in this I hate series. Shauna. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, which one? Old Shauna or young? I hate all Shaunas. No, all of them. the young Shauna's so no, good. I don't, no, I don't like her at all. No. You don't like her because she's corrupted and shady, but I love her because she's shady. Yeah, I don't, I'm not into her. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like her. We'll talk about why later. After Ian sees it. And he'll say like, oh yeah, I definitely want to see that. Weeks go by, a months go by. Who knows? Like maybe, maybe, calling maybe, him maybe, out maybe we'll be able to talk about it. Silence. <laughs> maybe we'll be able to talk about it in 2023. We'll see. The viewer questions when they write in. Someone will clock it in like September. They'll be like, did Ian ever watch? Then I'll be like, no. And it's almost Halloween. So who cares anymore? (laughs) Well, he has a ways to wait because I don't think season two is coming out for a long time. Interesting tidbit, though. I know that you're usually in the background, like looking up the series and kind of finding out the background tea about everything. So when it ended, you were like, wait, this was written for five seasons, which blew my mind. Six. Scalped me balls. Six. Because so I'm much like, happened. Exactly. I'm so, like, what are the, you going to do where for are six they more take years? It? Yeah. It's They're amazing. only supposed to be crashed for what was it? Like two and a half years. But, you know, when you calculate back, I think only three or four seasons go by. So they're still going to be in the woods for like another year or something. But I want to know what happens when the flashbacks catch up to the current timeline. I want to know what happens if they don't just film all six seasons at once, because otherwise these high school girls are going to be like 45 (laughs) in season six, but they aged from 16 to 45 (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. two-year period. Yeah. Anyway, so that was good. And another thing that was great is Raised by Wolves, which is on HBO Max. Yeah. And this is something that I think the first season came out in the end of like 2020. And mm-hmm. I saw it then and really wanted to jump on it, but life took over. But we decided to give that a shot. And wow, just yeah. dark science fiction, death, apocalyptic gorgeousness. I was spellbound right out of the gate. We love it. Loved We're addicted. It. Season two just started streaming. So I think they're on episode three on HBO Max now. Yeah. Episode three. Right. Exactly. And they play with these concepts of being human and the human soul and belief and spirituality and what place that has in a post-apocalyptic world where there are robots on another planet. Robots giving birth to giant snake creatures. Yeah. And- it's so good. <laughs> and it was here that we were randomly kind of just surfing through streaming. And we said, I don't know what to watch. What should we jump on next? And I'm flipping through Netflix or something. And the dial landed on. Now, everybody knows Tim Burton. Everybody knows Tim Burton for his vision of darkness and all of the, oh like, the God, amazing. Why are you going here? Silence. All of the amazing visionary stuff that he produced. But no one remembers, because I definitely didn't, the sleeper Tim Burton mega classic masterpiece, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh my God. So we just land. I'm like, are we able to watch Pee Wee's Pig Adventure? I'm like, holy shit, Tim Burton? So we watched it and it was so I forgot. good. Oh my God. Every, so good. Literally <laughs> rewatching it, I'm like, every single scene in this movie is amazing. There's no like filler scene. At every all. scene from scene to scene is like incredible. <laughs> every shot is meticulously plotted out. And now having done a few seasons of television, I'm appreciating it with a whole new eye. And I'm like, This is genius. Everybody listening, go back and watch Pee-wee's Big Adventure because it's worth it. Yeah. And speaking of strange things that we watch, we started watching Peacemaker, which Mm. is a new series on HBO Max, which is not horror at all, but it's gory, I will say. It's fun. It's fantasy. It's comic books. It definitely plays into like the stuff that we love. And I just want to be clear. This is a spinoff of the character made popular by the 2021 version of Suicide Squad, the James Gunn version, not the trash one that came out in like 2016. Right. Although some people would argue they are all trash versions, but no, no. The one that last year was so good. Yeah. You liked it. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was really fun. I don't know. As a fan of suicide squad comic books, I am not so much into these jokey versions of it. Like I think they're good, but I would have really loved to see a really dark, almost horror version of the Suicide Squad, what it was in the comic books back in the day. It was very serious and political. That would be fantastic. Now it's ruined forever. So comic book protectionism. (laughs) No, because here's the thing. I am fine with all the versions of it, so long as it doesn't stop the other version from happening. You know what I mean? Like You can make a comedic version of Suicide Squad as long as you can still make the other one. But because this one's successful... They're not going to do it. Yeah. And they're leaning way into the comedy. And it's very adult, though. Like, I kind of appreciate the humor. John Cena in his underwear, too. We're never going to be upset about that because they definitely took that and ran with it. It's very adult, very sexual, very violent. It's fun. You know, vigilante is the sleeper sex symbol of the series. Though. Oh, that's totally. what I hear online. People. Oh. Yeah. People are like all really? into him versus John Cena. Oh, yeah. I can see that for sure. Yeah. Like, so he's like the surprise sex symbol to people. Of I the could show. see that. I could totally see that. Yeah. So it's good, right? It's really dumb and funny. Yeah. And for some reason, like you overlook all of the stupidity of the storyline because it's kind of like joyous. It's got a lot of stuff from like the 80s and there's like this underlying soundtrack, tons of like 
heavy metal and like hair yeah, bands. Yeah. It's really kind of dead wrong. It's sort of the opposite of PC. All the jokes, they'd come right out of 1985, insulting uh, to everybody. Yeah, I'm really which is surprised. Amazing. That, I don't know how they get away with it. I though. love it. Yeah. I mean, I love it too because it does it in a way that it's like poking fun. You know what I mean? It's not trying to say that these things are okay to say or do. Totally. Yeah. It's handled well. Yeah. I hope listeners can understand because we actually have a huge love for horror, of course, but fantasy too. Fantasy horror might be the sweet spot for me. But the world of comics is definitely in there. It kind of lives in that under that umbrella. We've talked about bringing in like comics or graphic novels potentially as part of the next book review that we do. And we've talked about one that you love. And I think it probably will be the first graphic novel that we do here on Creatures of the Night, which is called Harrow County. Mm -hmm. And that came out years ago, but it's about ghosts basically in the south and it's Hates. very cool Haints, exactly <laughs> it's got a lot of flavor to it yeah a very southern flavor to it it's interesting yeah comics are kind of having a moment too and one of the ones getting adapted by netflix to come out and i think hopefully soon it's in production now is sandman from neil gaiman which is going to be i mean i hope it's as excellent they better be careful as the comic book is because there are so many passionate, passionate people that absolutely love the Sandman series. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard thing to tackle because it was really maybe the first of its kind when it came out originally, like that kind of tone for a comic book and sophistication and the subjects that they dealt with was really different. I mean, it launched a whole different imprint for DC comics yeah. and vertigo comics like Sandman comic death was a spinoff. I think Lucifer was adjacent somehow. It kind of launched a whole new kind of comic book. You oh, know? totally. Yeah. And the character Death became such a iconic figure, I think, in like everybody's gothic psyche. Every mm -hmm. goth kid knew who that was and what that looked like. Oh, I can't tell you how many gothic people back in the day suddenly showed up with the eyeliner pulled out with the onk. I'm oh, like, totally. Great. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and the last thing kind of on that note, something that I picked up recently is the Wonder Woman Historia book. Yes. Which is just gorgeous. I've literally never seen a comic book that looks this beautiful. Mm -hmm. And someone who is a Dragula alumni, they were a guest judge on season three. Phil Jimenez is the illustrator of that. And it's a series that's coming out now and it's huge. It's oversized. Everything is painted. All the panels are just absolutely gorgeous. I highly recommend it. I think of Phil Jimenez's artwork as impactful on our drag and the way we paint. I feel like him, George Perez, you know, these kind of artists, the way that they draw and paint women and their makeup and everything. I feel like that's inspirational to our drag and the way that we paint. Totally. And we've said that before, comic book characters and animated characters. Jack Kirby the most, like that very kind of... Uh, it's like graphic and really strong. Yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't draw like super thin women. He draws yeah. a very kind of muscular Amazonian. strong. Yeah. They're ready to stomp somebody out. Exactly. Just like we are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. And I think and on that note, we're going to bring in our co-host and co-producer to the podcast, Ian, and welcome him to the show. Ooh, thank you so much. I like to think that I'm the video game protectionist who just got back from eating her high school friends and was raised by bears, not wolves. I don't know. <laughs> that's the fantasy you're living in, and I'm here for it. Oh, and I live it every day. <laughs> Ooh, that reminded me of the bear in Yellow Jackets, and that's one of the things. <laughs> that you hate. That Wait, I, is, is it a CGI bear or I actually well I mean I can imagine it has to be to some degree it wasn't the rendition of if it was CGI or not that was the issue it's oh, like okay. what happens with the bear <laughs> oh but I will never let it go <gasps> 
Oh my God. It almost actually ruined the show for me. Wow. I mean, I recently watched Twister for the first time and a dog almost dies in the opening scene. And like, hi, this movie is made in like the fucking 80s and I just have never seen it. But I was like, fuck this movie. I'll never finish it. And then the dog lives. So thank God. I almost turned off our movie review for that. The movie that we reviewed this episode because the first scene I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it today. The chicken. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not not doing it today. I looked away too. I don't want to see that. Like that chicken is cooler than you. Okay, Miss Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) There's a moment that's very unbelievable. But for me, this is in Yellow Jackets, probably close to the end of the series. And I looked at it as kind of like a demonstration of the supernatural. And then I looked across the couch and Drax like, disgusting. Like, this is so unbelievable. And I'm out. I'm just going to tell you what it is. Tell me. Because it's not going to ruin the story for you. So... It's very realistic, right? Like, there's a little bit of hinting at some supernatural stuff, but nothing really. Okay. So then they're all like about to go in the cabin and they turn around and there's a gigantic grizzly bear. Okay. And it's walking up on them. And basically, they're like, we're dead. We're going to die. So this one girl grabs the knife of the person next to her and starts slowly walking over. It's like, don't, don't do this. Don't <laughs> even try. Because you know, a bear. Yeah. I mean, a bear would destroy you. A grizzly bear would literally just put its hand on your face and just wipe your entire face off. And with the speed that you couldn't even Uh, comprehend, right? So she slowly walks. I'm like, they're not going to do this. They're not going to do this. But they did. The bear comes over and she slowly walks over and stabs it in the head and kills it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really? And I'm like. She sure does. Delete, block, (laughs) but I don't know. I got over it, but yeah, that was a a moment. She was demonstrating her powers. Okay. I I always think of moments like that in film and television. Like, that could have used a round of notes. We could workshop that a little. Several rounds. Definitely. Just like the person who died on that next episode. Oh, my God. Needed some notes. When I finally get around to watching it in September, as per (laughs) Swanfield's prediction, I will let you know how I feel about this bear and all. I want you to watch it so we can talk about it. Hopefully by then. I... I'm going to say it right here. Creatures of the Night listeners, mark my words. By the next episode, I will have seen. Oh, oh I know. But mama, put it okay. on. Okay. Girl, let, before you finish that sentence, <laughs> let me just let you know. That is 10 hours of content. <gasps> she got it. We'll give <laughs> it a day off. Okay. Ooh, girl. I mean, I've taken 10 before. <laughs> <laughs> you have a day off. Go watch it so I don't have to talk to people on Twitter about it. <laughs> oh, my God. I got to retry Raised by Wolves because I think when I first tried it, I was kind of like, not in like a weird headspace, but you know when you watch a show or you watch a movie, you're like, I'm just not fully there for the fantasy. Yeah. I got to, I mean, hi, episode one spoilers, when there was only like one kid left, I was like, um, I'm good, I think on this, like, where is this going to go? And then the space crusaders showed up and I was like, God, I can't fucking do religion. Like, I can't. Mm. But everyone says it's so good. And then you guys were mentioning necromancy and I was like, okay, now hold on. This maybe is a show for me. If you watched it any time around post-production or production, I understand. <laughs> no, the honestly, only thing I can watch is like Darcy and Stacy level intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, no, I can't engage with anything like intense or anxious or yeah, anything totally. like that while we're in production. And I tried it on a plane. We were flying somewhere during production. I'm like, mm, I can't watch this right now. That was my first attempt at Raised by Wolves. So now... Post-production, I'm kind of like, oh, let's like re-engage, and it was much easier. <laughs> the one thing that does bother me about the show is, like, I want the main character to have, like, fierce lesbian, like, buzz cut, and her hair just kind of, like, it's been growing for two weeks. Just novel. watch. No, no. Oh, she oh. goes, oh, <laughs> <"Look."> <laughs> Hold. 
take it from me, her hair is so lesbian cunt. Like, it gets so good. And her, her acting, like, she delivers me the lesbian robot death fantasy from the future of my dreams. Okay. So, like, work. stick with it. Stick with it. Yes. Yeah, there's a moment where I'm like, okay. Like, it's <laughs> a big change. Yeah. So, I think it might be time for exciting updates from the horror world. News. Well, Creatures of the Night listeners, it's that time of year again, where the chill touch of winter begins to warm and the zombies trapped in their icy tombs start to thaw. But more importantly, America has once again gathered around their televisions to watch a bunch of hot, sometimes hairy, sweaty men run around wearing slutty little outfits and hopefully visible jockstraps. That's right, I'm talking about the Super Bowl, or as I like to call it, Ian's Locker Room Kink Explained. Before you at me with, but Ian, who cares about sports? Get to the worlds of Hollywood and horror. Last year's Super Bowl broadcast brought us a swath of sci-fi and horror-themed content, and this year was no different, with several projects from the world of horror creeping through television screens to terrify and titillate. Lovers of romantic vampires rejoiced in their coffins as they retreated to the first look at AMC Plus's upcoming series, Anne Rice's Interview with a Vampire, which looks to be the bloody cherry on top of AMC's recent rights acquisition of Anne Rice's literary catalog. Marvel fans finally got the official trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, with footage further fueling fan speculation that the film will take the MCU into the horror space like never before. Rounding out the pack for horror content was the highly anticipated trailer for Nope, Jordan Peele's latest upcoming horror movie, confirming the speculated alien invasion plot and giving fans a release date of June 22nd. What are we most excited about of these upcoming releases? A little bit of everything. Jordan Peele's genius, Mm -hmm. so I'm excited about the new movie. A comic book movie that legitimately swerves into the horror space would be really gratifying because Lord knows that X one just didn't do it. Well, Moon Knight isn't either. Oh, girl, I almost mentioned Moon Knight and I was like, eh, we've already talked about it a little bit. Not super into it. But Multiverse of Madness looks actually pretty good. And surprisingly, her wig looks pretty good, too. Mm. I will say that story, if they go the direction I think they might, will be sort of horror adjacent. Yeah. In the trailer, they also have Doctor Strange as a zombie and Mm -hmm. Doctor Strange as kind of this like multi-limbed monster. And it really feels like they're kind of trying to push like, hey, we're going to do the horror version of the multiverse. So There's an animated series where they told a similar story or at least the the visuals. What If. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was basically like dark-sided Doctor Strange or Doctor Strange from like a shadow realm and I felt like that was really what we were seeing in this trailer. It's interesting to me because and I don't want to like sideline too much but (laughs) reading comic books back in the day you would never imagine these stories that Mm -hmm. we grew up with were going to become these giant storylines way in the future and they are like I remember reading about the Scarlet Witch and this was like you know they're the Avengers they're like the good guys they're And I remember this whole thing happening to her. And it was just like kind of mind blowing at the time. But to think that this many years later, you know what I mean? They turn it into a major. And I mean, how many people watch the Avengers movies? Like, it's like the most popular thing. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I feel like, I mean, don't quote me, don't at me, is like the most successful like movie franchise in the world. Certainly of comic books, you know? So it's just like, it's kind of mind blowing to think that something from that long ago would then become. (laughs) Every time you say mind blowing and that long ago, I picture like a miniature. Drac, whose wig gets disintegrated, you know, oh because God, they're, yes. telling, they're telling like a major like Scarlet Witch story. Oh, totally. Well, so, it like, was because she turned and like killed a bunch of the Avengers. It was like a huge deal. There's yeah. this cover where she sort of starts to pixelate and Ooh, come apart. It's really interesting. Cool. Anyways, yeah. No, so, I love this. We're going to do a whole side podcast project that's just all about the comic book realm, and <gasps> everyone can listen, including me, 
And Drakmorda can share her eidetic memory of every comic that she's ever read for a million years. You're like, that one comic book cover back from like whenever. Oh, I could was- be the Marvel editor that they desperately need okay. but everyone would hate me because i would constantly be like nope 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 yeah. nope you know you're not the one that they want but you are the one that they need yeah mm-hmm. i will say and i'll say it here first we have swanthula's book nook we have drax comet corner mm-hmm. i'm ready mama <laughs> ian's haunted locker room oh and mama i will be there all day all night <laughs> <laughs> just like middle school <laughs> ian's haunted locker room should be a segment and we should film it <gasps> I'm not going to say where, but you remember that dirty locker room oh horror scene? My God. That's where you that, could host your show from. Mama, and I will be given shows. <laughs> <laughs> shows all night. And of course, it goes without mentioning, I'm excited about the Anne Rice so interview with the vampire Oh, series, for sure. Of course, yeah. As listeners, probably know and remember, I read them all. So it's exciting to know that we'll be sharing the AMC coffin with Anne Rice. It's sad that she... Passed, passed away, away. Yeah. didn't get to see that but i mean that's really cool that her work is going to move on to become such a you know interestingly enough too someone sent to the studio a book like a copy and i think it's written by Anne rice and christopher rice of the new Anne rice book mm-hmm. ramsey's the dam now i'm not oh, even yeah. sure if that's new but it's sitting in my office and i'm going to read it I really hope that with Anne Rice's interview with the vampire that they maintain the sort of homoerotic nature of the vampires because as a kid, I was all over it. I remember my mom showed me that movie and I was like, mama, this shit is gay. And she was like, wait, what? They're like Lotharios. She's like, like, it's romantic. Yeah, she's like, they like bed women. And I was like, mama, they are bedding each other. They have a doll child. (laughs) Well, you know, because Christopher Rice, who is openly gay, is a big part of it too. Like the two of them were, I think both either... I think they might both be executive producers on the project. Oh. I would assume that he'll probably oh, I really infuse so. it with some homosexuality. <laughs> infuse her yes. with some homosexuality. <laughs> infuse her now. <laughs> While the Super Bowl might be a weird coupling for horror content, the genre has always had a home in the virtual world of video games, and as both spaces grow independently, it's only natural that their tentacles would continue to intertwine with a few new projects announced for gamers and horror lovers alike. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre will also be getting a new video game adaptation developed by Gun Interactive, the studio behind Trixie Mattel's favorite game, Friday the 13th. The developers recently updated eager fans with an announcement that Kane Hodder, best known for his portrayal of hockey mask for mask machete muscle queen Jason Voorhees, would be reprising his role as Leatherface in-game, providing all the voice acting and motion capture work for the horror icon. Also, creeping up from her watery grave and bussin' through your TV screens via haunted VHS tapes, Sadako, the evil spirit from the Ring franchise, was just revealed to be joining the roster of the popular survival game Dead by Daylight on March 8th. Well, I can't wait till the Boulay brothers also join those ranks because that needs Mom, to happen. It's time. It's it is time. really time. People it's time. We need the crossover. It it's the crossover everyone's screaming for. They do. Like, people tag mm. us all the time in that. But I'm like, I don't understand how people could still be playing Dead by Daylight. Like, oh, they love it. They girl. love they it. They love it. I mean, I played it for a while, but I'm like, <laughs> First of all, oh my God. we already talked about it. I mean, how many times can you get hit with a fucking pallet? Oh, girl, <laughs> rewind a few episodes to Drac running into the pallet. Glonk. Oh. <laughs> it's more enjoyable for me just to watch it. <laughs> you can't ever play the victim either because nobody wants to be the killer, I guess. So, like, oh. you, which I don't mind. I like being the killer, but I don't like getting hit with pallets. It's weird. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Having never played the game, I don't really 100% understand the appeal of playing as a survivor. Like, I think I would want to play as the killer, but then I watch gameplay of it and I'm like, no, I don't really think that this is how like Amanda from the Saw franchise would trap someone. I'm like, that's just 
some random woman. Like, just hit her with the palette and go. I think it definitely leans towards being more fun for a survivor. Yeah. The way that it's set up. And there's teamwork, too. Oh, they team up against they do. you. It's just oh. I mean, I guess they do that in horror movies, too. It's just like real life. They all try to team up against us, and then they die. True, exactly. The sand is quickly running out of my hourglass tonight, but before I return to my crypt, here are a few brand new projects just announced that we'll be keeping our eye on here in the studio as more details emerge. The rumored Blade Runner series from Amazon Studios has officially been announced and confirmed as Blade Runner 2099 via deadline, with Ridley Scott confirmed as executive producer and speculated to direct as well. Fans of dark fantasy and puppets will be happy to know that Variety reported earlier this week that the Jim Henson Company will be teaming up with The Walking Dead star Norman Reedus to create a brand new live-action fantasy series in a similar setting to that of The Dark Crystal. And finally, surprising probably no one in the world, Scream 6 has officially been greenlit and will begin shooting this summer. (laughs) Yay for six cream. Yay, cream six. (laughs) Okay, anything Dark Crystal related gets an A-plus in my book, totally. and I am crushed and pissed that they didn't get renewed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was so good. It was like so Netflix, good. You have the money to spare. Just make it. I don't care if enough people <laughs> didn't watch it. You owe it to fandom to make this show. You obviously have an excess of money and an underwhelming amount of taste, so make the Dark Crystal. Right. Make it for me. Make it for me. Mm-hmm. Well, Ian, thank you so much for those updates from the horror world. We are going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll be reviewing my personal queen of everything, Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. UK fans of the Boulay Brothers' Dragula, now is your time. The official Boulay Brothers Dragula World Tour kicks off in the UK this March with stops in Edinburgh, Glasgow, Newcastle, Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, London, Nottingham, Leeds, Sheffield, Brighton, and Bristol. We'll be bringing our top competitors of the season with us for a show you'll have to see to believe. General admission and meet and greet tickets are on sale now at DragulaLive.com. Join us or die. Elevate your summer with Osea's best-selling body care set. It's everything you need for radiant summer skin on the go. Featuring travel sizes of Osea's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral skincare, like their best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Right now, you can get the Best Sellers Body Care Set, a $78 value, 33% off. And use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. Welcome back, darlings, to the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night Creature Feature Movie Review. For this episode's film, we chose to watch and review Nightmare Alley. Now, this was a book back in the 40s. It was also a movie. So this is kind of a retelling through the lens of Guillermo del Toro. And right at the beginning, he says, my name is Guillermo del Toro. Welcome to my Nightmare Alley. Welcome (laughs) to my book. (laughs) He didn't read the book. (laughs) He really doesn't, but he should. Welcome to my book. That's also a movie. That's also the movie you're watching now. (laughs) Yeah. And there's kind of like an interesting tidbit. In this film, he leans so heavily into the noir-ness of everything. And it wasn't shot in black and white, but it was lit for black and white. 
And because that was so dramatic and really lent itself when they were rewatching scenes after shooting, they were doing it in black and white. And it had such an effect that they re-released the film in some select theaters in Los Angeles, including one of the best theaters, in my opinion, the Alamo Draft House in black and white, and it, they called it Nightmare Alley, Vision in Darkness and Light. So you can see this film in both color, and if you live in Los Angeles, in black and white, and I guess it's supposed to be like transformative uh, retelling, like it's a completely different movie. Oh, it's so hot. It's really cool. Very unusual. I did not see the black and white version, but I would have liked to. I don't know if it's at the Alamo now or not. I'm not sure, but it's just a delight to know that we live in one of the cities where it was off. But if you do go to the Alamo and you're not on a diet or watching your figure for the tour, <laughs> you should get the Mexican vanilla milkshake because I heard it's delicious. You heard it's delicious <laughs> or you know first hand. I heard. Sigourney will be bringing you one. Get ready. Mm-hmm. Sigourney well, told me about it. Sigourney will be bringing you one every night of the tour. <laughs> <laughs> and her 26 inch waist is going to go to a 46 inch waist before we're done with it. Oh, <laughs> she's going to reach be like, girl, my waist is definitely smaller than 26. Well, she is like 16 or something. Some crazy. crazy. Yeah. But this movie has been like vastly successful. It's now nominated for four Academy Awards, including the best picture. So we thought we would get our eyes on it so we can give our take on what many consider kind of a masterpiece. I mean, I thought it was beautiful, right? This is what Guillermo del Toro does well. It's a period piece. It's melodramatic. It's beautifully shot. Of course, surprise horror elements and yeah. gruesomeness, as always. Facial gruesomeness. She loves a face wound. Oh, yeah. She loves to bash a face in. Yeah. yeah, so it was great. To me, I do think the beginning was a little slow. But of course, I think by the end, it's a good watch. It was great. I will agree with you that the beginning is a little slow, but to me, that just added to the overall mystique of the film. Not to be like a complete weirdo, but I love Nightmare Alley. When the movie ended, I literally was just grinning ear to ear. I just think it's fabulous. I think it's wonderful. I think Kate Blanchett is just electrifying. The story is beautiful. The cinematography, the sets. I love it. I love this movie. Yeah, I'm going to agree with both of you guys. It's the artistry across the board of, of everything. Within the first five minutes, too, you see Ron Perlman, Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so major. Such before, a cast. Yeah, within minutes, literally. Yeah. And doubling down on the Kate Blanchett thing, like the characterization, the noir, the dame, her poise. I felt like she could be related to the Boulay brothers. And oh, yes. If we had an ancestor, it could have been this character from it this movie. The perfect femme fatale character from that sort of movie. She was beautiful and sharp and her voice was seductive. She really nailed that time period. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like one of the things that I really enjoyed about Kate Blanchett's portrayal of Dr. Lilith Ritter was she kept me guessing because, spoiler alert, this is, I think, Guillermo del Toro's only film that does not contain any supernatural elements. There's no monsters, there's no magic, but there is a lot of like noir and kind of intrigue. And Kate Blanchett's character kept me guessing. I was like, is she like clairvoyant in some way? Is she manipulating him? Like, does she pull the strings? Is she the devil somehow? Because mm. she was just so villainous and delicious at the end of the film. Totally. It seems like they were hinting maybe at some supernatural elements. Nothing was ever confirmed, obviously, yeah. but there was a couple of moments where you're like, hmm, you know? Well, there was this whole idea of almost like sleight of hand. Are these mentalists con men? Absolutely. But do they get to a point when they read? that little secret book and learn the techniques that their beliefs become so strong in their own ability that they actually manifest supernatural powers. And I think that theme of smoke and mirrors, is it performance or is it actually real kind of goes throughout. Yeah. And the whole idea of the devils too, like between the mentalist and the psychiatrist, it's like these kindred spirits that kind Mm -hmm. of come together and they both sort of con people in their own way. Yeah. 
but also they're like two devils sort of like reveling in each other's presence and dancing this sort of like dangerous game of like baiting each other. Absolutely. When you get to the relationship between Stanton Carlisle, who's played by Bradley Cooper and also the doctor, their relationship is so cat and mouse, but they trade roles a little bit and it's yeah. like this dance and it's really beautiful. Yeah. Speaking of being kind, I was promised that there was some full frontal nudity in this movie from <laughs> Ian. I don't care, but like, look, come on. You know what I mean? Like, hey, a cheap thrill but, is still a thrill. Right. Yeah. If you're like, what the things that are going to motivate me to watch this movie? There's like four or five things. That's one. Cause you're like, okay, that's unusual for a movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's more totally. common now. Look like you're right. Wasn't there. Wasn't really <laughs> there, happen. was it? Oh my God. Wasn't really there, was It was there, just was alluded it? to. Well, listen, I didn't hear that. If though. you only counted if you saw nipple, then you only counted if you saw the head. There was only shaft in this, but I still thought it was the dong-a-thon. Underwater. I saw <laughs> no shaft. I thought it was going to be like a stand-up, <gasps> like, full-on, <laughs> because everyone made such a big deal about it, so I was like, where's the big deal? And it wasn't there. Well, this is the Loch Ness monster of the film, then. It is. And Bradley, well, if you're, Bradley if you're, Cooper's Loch Ness monster. If you're listening, Mama wants to see Nessie again. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow is right. <laughs> Overall, it was great, right? Yeah, I think it was gorgeous and dark, and it was Guillermo del Toro doing what Guillermo del Toro does. It was kind of like a transportive film. Like, mm-hmm. you got brought into a world with sort of new rules and undefined possibilities. Yeah, and then the whole full circle moment, which was like the gag of the whole movie, right? Wonderful ending. A lot of movies don't seem like they know how to end anymore. Stuck the landing. Yeah, Stuck the landing. At first I was like, am I going to like the way this ends? And then when it kind of culminates, my belly dropped out. I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow. Very much like the sinister side of show business, right? It'll chew you up and spit you out kind of vibe. Totally. As I was reflecting on why I liked it so much, I was like, oh, well, right, because it is so bleak. Like Mm -hmm. the ending is just like... Pitch black, which I was actually very happy about because one of the things that I do love, but I kind of wrestle with, with Guillermo del Toro's other films is he loves a bleak ending too, but it's always a little bit of fantasy or like mysticism. Does she live or do they end up happier after? Like, what do you believe? But then at the end of this film, it's like, there's no questions. It's just Bradley Cooper fucking acting his ass off. And almost willingly accepting this hellish fate, Mm -hmm. right? And I think for me, again, the idea of hell or like what a person's soul is made of and like this idea of marks and victims to devils, like literal devils, but then the descent of one of these devils from his high lofty place into madness, into full degradation, and then into like willing subjugation, just like being treated like a beast. Yeah, you know, there's even something about the setting of the film that I think you could read more into as being, oh, is this hell, is this purgatory? Because the film opens kind of in a standalone scene, you know, Bradley Cooper's in the house, there's the body, and then suddenly, bam, we're at the carnival. And there's not a whole lot of traveling that happens. Like, even when we go to the doctor's office, we're just there, and it's kind of its own place. I'm like, okay, all these places almost exist in a vacuum, and it creates this, like, dizzying sense of where are we, what's happening which I thought was really well done. And fire keeps coming up right from the very mm-hmm. first scene. And then when he's in the psychiatrist's office, his hand is extended, and but the fireplace is right behind him. And it looks like his entire arm is kind of on fire. Yeah. And then you get flashbacks of the fire. And just in talking about this is making me realize different layers of this. Because when he arrives at the carnival the first time, the geek escapes and they're like, okay, we have to go find the geek. And he descends into, into the, the mouth of the devil, yes, yes. into this hall of damnation. And it's like sinner and sin. 
And little do we know, like what he's finding in there, in like the heart, in the mouth of this <gasps> devil, it. is his fate, is his destiny. <laughs> yes, God. Yeah. <laughs> she good. She good. Just if you had to say, like, well, what's the one moment that people should see it for? There's the moment where Rooney Mara is wearing the white dress and she's silhouetted with like the snow in the background, the blood in her hands. I was like, girl, Guillermo del Toro came to fucking work today. Okay. And I didn't say it out loud, but in my head, I'm like, this is why I love his movies. Oh, like, absolutely. This is why he made this movie for this moment. The whole ending with the snow, you know, from the winter snow portion on, I thought was just so beautiful and haunting. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And then you get like out of nowhere, all those like deep, gory facial wounds that we all know Guillermo yeah. loves. I'm like a full face, just, just ripped in. off, like nose, just destroyed ear shot off. People get run over gruesomely. He went there. I was curious how they were going to handle that with her playing the wife character. Oh, you too. can imagine back in the day. Oh, yeah. Keeping them separate and really being able to fool someone, you know, like. Yeah, especially with the character of Ezra Grendel being basically conned into believing that, you know, his wife, you can still be communicated with. So it's like the power of belief mixed with the sleight of hand mm-hmm. in this illusory garden. You could totally see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I think we all agree it was melodramatic, it was absolutely noir, it was dark, rich, mysterious, violent, and fabulous. And depressing. Yeah, (laughs) she she blinked, I want to see it again. (laughs) All right, creatures, it's time to take another quick break, and upon our return, we will be reaching into our bag of listener mail. Be back soon. Calling all misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulay Brothers' Dragula Season 4 U.S. Tour will be terrorizing a city near you this spring. Featuring the Boulay Brothers and the top four monsters of Season 4. Tickets and VIP upgrades are available and going fast. So if you'd like the chance to experience the Dragula show live, get your tickets now at DragulaLive.com before they're all gone. <laughs> It's that time of the show where we give a voice to some of our listeners out there and answer their burning questions. So, Ian, will you do us the honors? Oh, I'd be delighted. Craig asks, Are you all excited for the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming to Netflix on February 18th, and will you be reviewing it for the podcast? We may review it, but I don't know. Excited? Not really. Honestly, the trailer did not do anything for me. The whole idea of, which we've talked about before, I saw in the trailer, here's Sally, the lone survivor (laughs) from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and here she comes back and she's a badass granny with a cowboy hat and a shotgun. I mean, I don't know where I've seen that before, right? Like Granny hag from hell, Literally. (laughs) Sally's back. And I don't know. They, They may not go there, but from the... The preview, it looks like they're basically following the Halloween formula and Jamie Lee Curtis, which I think is very strange. I'm not going to watch it until I get confirmation that Leatherface is wearing a lady face once again. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I don't know. Also, there was like this weird social media thing they were trying to play with in the trailer. Like, you're canceled. I'm like, I can't. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm 
intrigued but pessimistic. The magic eight ball says the future is looking bleak. Yes. I don't know. I want it to be good, but at the same time, like the reason why I love the original is again, it is fucking bleak. Oh, all her friends are dead and she's just screaming in the back of the truck and Leatherface is human, but you basically can't kill him versus here. I'm like, okay, well if the whole quest is to kill him, I'm like, that's my girl. Like, don't do her like that. I will say that this is the one franchise that they rebooted and I'm sure it's been done a couple times. I'm not like a Chainsaw Massacre historian, but they did remake it and I thought it was good they tried to explain the story and there was like a mom character mm-hmm. now and they were starving do you remember that I don't remember who did that part of me wants to say it's a Blumhouse but I maybe it's not mm-hmm. but I remember it was like they called it something like the family or like Leatherface Reborn or something like that a couple of years ago it's pretty good but you yeah know, I think they've remade it again since then but I don't know anyways I don't know if I'd say I'm excited but I'll watch it Milo writes if you had to pick new career paths for each other what would they be Oh, I get to pick your career path? That's right. (sighs) I think uh, maybe an art school teacher. No. (laughs) Yes, Zelda. An uh, art school teacher slash wizard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Slash astrologist. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) I would say like either a life coach or a clinical psychologist. Like definitely Mm -hmm. somebody to help people face and sort of like frame their problems. Cause I think you're really good at that. Well, thank you. Lauren from Ontario writes, I have a question for all three of you. Which final girl do you identify with most and why? How about you? I have a pick, but I think it would probably change depending on the day of the week. But my first instinct was to go with the character of Sarah from The Descent. She's the main character of the film. I love her in that movie. I feel like she grapples with a lot of shit and specifically grapples literally. with some, Yeah, literally <laughs> grapples with some monsters too. And I just, I love a character who they start the film and they're one character and then by the end they're completely transformed. You know, and she slips into that pit of blood and comes back out. I'm like, oh, this is that moment in Predator. Like, you're no longer just a final girl. You're also one of the monsters. Mm. Yeah. What a fun movie that was. No, really. And yeah, honestly, so the Descent, good. Yeah. as a final girl, it's not one that comes to mind immediately because it's like a classic horror, you know what I mean? At but all. honestly, yeah. like a really interesting final girl. Yeah, yeah. and there's like two endings to that too, right? Yeah. yeah, there's the classic ending where she escapes, but then there's, or maybe that's the alternate. I, one of them has like a jump scare. Yeah. Oh, I think <laughs> and it, it is, got me, of oh, course. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is the alternate where the jump scare happens, but then she wakes up and she's still in the pit. Yeah. And I remember I was like, oh. You're like, I like that one way better. Yeah, I was like, actually, this podcast is literally making me think, I'm like, wow, I've loved bleak shit since I was a little kid. <laughs> For me, it's clear. It's Kirstie Cotton from Hellraiser. Um, beca- Why that? Why her? Because it took me a minute too, but I'm like, I don't know if I really relate to any final girls, but then I'm like, it would be Kirstie, even though she has a problematic first name because Ian and I have been through this. Like, <laughs> Kirstie, Kristen, Kirsty, Kirsten. It's like they should all just kind of pick one because it's annoying. But Kirstie Cotton <laughs> is the one. I don't think they pick it themselves. <laughs> because, I, you know, I lived through living in New York and kind of like the underground club scene for years, very young, and then like partying my ass off throughout L.A. And I feel like I've battled some demons and came out like kind of safe and escaped on the other end. So that's why it would be Kirstie Cotton for me. Nice. I have to admit, I'm not really into final girls at all. I was always in, I'm like, why did she get away? You know, for I just never really liked it. I would think, well, actually, that, that maybe that tracks because you would definitely be 
the murderer. <laughs> I was just like, she couldn't. No, I don't think so. No. Yeah. The one final girl that I do like, which is no surprise you all know, is Danielle Harris from Halloween 4. Yeah. Well, Halloween 4 or 5, you know, and then they unceremoniously <laughs> kill her, but it's a different actress than 6. Yeah, I don't know. I always thought she was interesting. You yeah, know, no, like, know she you was like... different. She was younger than mm-hmm. most final girls. And I feel like they did some character development with her tying her to the killer and maybe even making yeah. her the killer yeah. for a minute. Oh, minimally. no, it was so, yeah, there was a really lot of allu- he- heavy alluding there that yeah. there was going to, like, so kind of sh- pass the baton. And who knows what they would have done if it hadn't been for uh, H2O, the, right? And those zany oh, kids. Girls. And, you know, still crossing my fingers that our messages are getting through to Blumhouse <laughs> and that they're going to surprise us with a Jamie Lloyd appearance. So we'll see. I really loved the last time that we saw Daniel Harris in person. Um, it was at a horror convention mm-hmm. and she was just, you know, like wearing her like regular person clothes. She's like, oh, hey, hold on. I, I have to get changed for the meet and greet and put on the clown outfit. Yeah. I was like, yes, fucking man. <laughs> what a yeah. moment. That was so awesome. I said, I, spoiler, I really feel like one day we're going to use her for something scripted and I'm going to figure out how to tie up that story. (laughs) Like, you know, not in a like connected way, obviously, but if you just kind of imagined a little bit and... You know, in your own subtle way. Yeah, Yeah. I will wrap up that storyline. Heal the story. That's right. Heal that broken storyline. She should come and kill Jamie Lee Curtis. Evil dies tonight. (laughs) Harry from Australia writes, Hi, Abulays. I'm a really huge fan of Dragula and of all the monsters on all seasons, and I was wondering if you would ever do an Australian tour. I wish I could travel myself to the UK or to the US to see the tour, but I am currently unable to. Mm, Well, would we? (laughs) Just hold tight, sweetie, because your wishes could be coming true sooner than you think. Kelly from North Carolina asks, Okay, so, super fan here. Anyway... I was listening to horror soundtracks today, specifically Candyman and Hellraiser, and I was curious if you had a favorite horror score. I mean, I think Halloween is like amazing, oh, no matter. Classic. I mean, you oh, know, but the, the whole the, thing, like, oh, not just the the big theme. Yeah, not mm. just the, the whole thing is great, and the Halloween four soundtrack specifically, and Halloween five surprisingly is really good. But this is not horror, but it's a soundtrack that I love. Is I love it so much I don't even know the name. (laughs) A soundtrack that I love that is not horror is Legend, a movie from the 80s. Love, I love that soundtrack. Because you've used some of that music before on stage. Yeah, we use it on stage and stage shows and stuff. Yeah, and the the weird thing about it is you can't get it anymore because they released it and it was by a band named Tangerine Dream made the soundtrack. Well, later they reformatted the movies. This is what we really wanted it like. And they rewrote all the music and you can only get the new rewritten version, which sucks. (laughs) It sucks because because there are two tracks from the original, the Tangerine Dream one, Darkness, and particularly, and another track called Goblins, which I absolutely love too. And you couldn't get them for a while. Damn. I'm not a big soundtrack queen at all, but while I was kind of thinking about this, it got me back onto Neo Noir, which Nightmare Alley is considered Neo Noir. And another Neo Noir movie from the 90s from David Lynch was Lost Highway, mm. which is like a sick and twisted, very dark movie. That has an incredible soundtrack. It's one of the only soundtracks that I think I own and really love. It's got like David Bowie, Rammstein, Nine Inch Nails, Smashing Pumpkins. It's really good. If I may, I have two and they're kind of like weird diametrically opposed picks. Like my big like soundtrack when I was a kid was the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack, which is a musical. Not a big musical person, but that was my show when I was younger. And the other one I came across when we saw it for the podcast was the soundtrack for Possessor which mm. is very weird and atmospheric because that movie is 
very weird, weird atmosphere. atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. But it just is immediately transports me back to watching that movie. And it's that feeling of being uncomfortable. Like definitely wouldn't put it on for friends, but maybe as like, you know, rain sounds sort of. Mm, interesting. <laughs> that movie could have a rewatch, I think. I think so too. Oh girl, I'm ready whenever you are. Yeah. Ariel from Ontario, Canada asks, Universal Studios likes to focus on a new theme every year for their Halloween events. What iconic franchise would you love to see Universal flesh out next for an upcoming Halloween season? Hmm. I'm going to pick something fun and say Beetlejuice. (gasps) I think it's so visual and fun and just cool and it's horror that I have a good time with. So I'll say Beetlejuice. I'd love to see it. This would be hard to do, but I think maybe doing everything like Stephen King. Right. Oh, I feel like it's for whatever reason so hard to bring his work to the screen. Sometimes. Yeah, I would love to see it. You could do it with it. You could mm-hmm. do it with Children of the Corn. That's pretty visual. You know what I mean? It has its own style. Maybe Pet Cemetery. I don't know. Bad idea. Forget it. <laughs> I don't know. I think you could do like you could do like an interactive version where it's like they put you in a bed and then they hobble you and then they put you in a car and there's a dog and then everyone thinks you're crazy. I'm like that sounds like my life. <laughs> Aaron from Chicago writes. My question is: In the beginning song sequence of your show, I'm dying to know who is the voice of the scream at the end of the song. It's a mystery. Sarah from the UK asks, I'm not sure you're going to want to answer this one, but I'm curious why you disliked St. Maud so much. It's been a while since you reviewed it on Creatures of the Night, but I still can't fathom how you didn't love it as much as I did. Of course, everyone's opinion is their own, but help a girl out. What did you feel like it was missing? I feel like it was missing anything other than just being super straightforward. I just felt like it was so straightforward that it's like, and you're telling me this why? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> okay, and uh-huh. what now? Just didn't see anything from it that was like, I'm like, it's just watching like someone walk down the street and they kill someone. And it's like, okay, well, why and, am and I the watching it? the didn't happen until the very end, yeah. too. I think St. Maud suffered from a case of like being so hyped because A24 was pumping out just really amazing genre-defining stuff at the time. It was very like, oh, we want our highbrow horror. And we want the next highbrow horror. And St. Maud came in and I think it was cool. Like we didn't feel exactly the same about Mm -hmm. it. Like there was, I like the religious theme as a source of fear, like for sure. And her like dementia, I thought was kind of exciting and interesting. The end scare, like the real one legitimate scare really kind of chilled me to the core when her Mm -hmm. face like sort of Mm -hmm. transformed. And like the self-immolation I thought was incredible, but those were like two moments that happened in the last like five minutes yeah. and I, I just wanted so much more. I'm going to 100% agree with you on that one. The last five minutes are incredible to me. And I do think the film is beautiful. I think personally, I had super high hopes. It was like when I saw the trailer, I was my jaw on the ground. I was ready to see it. And I think it suffers from weird advertising. You know, it's like every fucking horror movie gets advertised as the scariest movie of the year. And I'm like, don't say that if it's actually a drama with a horror element to it. Because if it was marketed that way, I think I'd be more prepared for the pacing. But as it stands, I was like, when is it going to get scary? And it kind of never did. Yeah, I agree. If it had been a sleeper and we just happened to watch it, we'd be like, wow, that was kind of interesting. But because of how hyped it was, yeah, maybe we were disappointed. That's all the time we have for questions this episode. Thank you all for writing in. And remember, if you have a question for us that you'd like answered here on the podcast, please email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com and let us know where you're writing from. We'd love to hear from you.
And now it's time to change the mood a little and bring the lights down as we prepare for this episode's haunting of history. For this section of the show, we like to dig up a real-life documented supernatural happening and give listeners an abridged history of the terrifying event. We encourage you to turn off the lights, find a dark, quiet place to relax in, and prepare for a journey into the unknown. In this episode's Creature Feature Movie Review, we watched and discussed a fictional film that centered around a circus. It was a noir-style story, complete with crime, clowns, death, and ultimately despair. And while this film was purely a work of fiction, it reminds us of a place here in the real world that's history also centers around crime and circuses, and also ghosts. If you're driving on the Las Vegas Strip and you continue north past the grandeur of the Bellagio, Caesar's Palace, and the Venetian, you'll eventually come to a hotel towards the end of the row bearing a huge neon sign and the design of a clown's face. This is the iconic sign of one of Vegas' most infamous casinos, aptly named Circus Circus. Circus Circus was built in 1968 by Jay Sarno, who was the same man who conceived Caesar's Palace in all its Roman-inspired glory. While in theory this new clown-themed casino seemed like a fun idea, the builders made the fatal mistake of not including a hotel for guests to stay at on the property. Without accommodations, high rollers had no reason to play at Circus Circus, and it wasn't long before the whole operation was falling heavily into the red. To save the casino, Jay sunk himself into mob-related loans and businesses, and over the years, his new endeavor quickly became synonymous with crime and death. Rumors of guests falling to their deaths from windows began to spread around town, and Circus Circus quickly garnered the reputation of being mob-controlled and dangerous. Further adding to the hotel's poor reputation was the rumor that room 123 was haunted by the lost spirits of a murdered mother and her son who was said to walk the hotel halls tormenting the adjacent rooms. Several years prior to the haunting, a young woman and her son were found dead from an apparent murder-suicide in the room, and while a motive for their deaths were never found, it is widely believed that the woman's spirit remained behind, forever searching for her husband, who was the boy's father. Rumors speculated that he was a dark-haired man named Robert, and that anyone who stayed in the room by that name and appearance were murdered, more specifically, hung from the ceiling. Stories of the haunting have continued from the 1970s up until today. Many hotel guests over the years have reported hearing the loud screams of a child pleading for help, while others have said to have seen the words, help me, scribbled on the bathroom mirror. A 20-year employee at the casino vehemently claims that three people were killed in the kitchen all in one night, and the hotel's haunted reputation doesn't end there. With every tale of murder that has attached itself to Circus Circus over the years comes more reports of paranormal activity, including strange sounds, moving objects, and other wandering spirits. Beyond the rumored ghosts that seemingly haunt the halls of Circus Circus, there is an undeniable rich history of desperation, gambling, crime, and murder that also haunts the casino. 
When you imagine the place back in its mob control heyday and the depravity of the patrons who gambled there. A quote from the book Nightmare Alley, which inspired the aforementioned film we reviewed earlier, comes to mind. How helpless they all looked in the ugliness of sleep. A third of life spent unconscious and corpse-like. And some, the great majority, stumbled through their waking hours scarcely more awake, helpless in the face of destiny. They stumbled down a dark alley toward their deaths. They sent exploring feelers into the light and met fire and writhed back again into the darkness of their blind groping. William Lindsay Gresham, Nightmare Alley. That's all the time we have for now, children. If you're enjoying the Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night, we want to remind you to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and to also encourage everyone you know to do the same. We'll see you back here on the next episode of Dread Central's Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night. Thanks for listening. The Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Dread Central production. Hosted by the Boulet Brothers with their co-host and producer, Ian DeVogler. Engineered and mixed by Carlos Bueno, with music by Neuron Spectre. 